Now everybody's really unsure what's Pastor Todd going to be talking about today. So good to be together once again. I, I was, my wife and I were gone last week, and man, do we miss you guys. I love being back. You are family to us, so thanks for being that. Thanks for watching us if you're joining us on our web, on our live stream, and uh, live stream. And um, if you happen to be new to us today, really glad that you've joined us uh, this morning. My name's Todd. Would love the chance to meet you if I haven't already. Well, this is uh, week two of a series that Pastor Dan launched last week called Modern Family. And in this series, what we're doing is we're unpacking different aspects of what it looks like to be family. But this is what I would say is not your grandmother's average Bible family series. Because what we're doing in this series is we're kind of unpacking some, um, some harder issues. Some issues that people are wrestling with both outside of the church and inside of the church. And so we're going to hit some topics that sometimes aren't covered on a Sunday morning in church. So last week, uh, Pastor Dan did a great job of talking about what it looks like to be single and the gift that that can be that God has given. And that is, uh, if you were not here, it, you should go back, listen to the podcast, or listen, or get on YouTube and listen to that sermon because it was really good on something that's an often overlooked topic in the church. All right. So, but today is what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to talk about a question I think many people are struggling with both inside and outside the church. And the question is this. Should couples live together before marriage? Should couples live together outside of marriage? And just by me asking that question, especially if you are new to us or um, maybe you're just checking us out or don't agree with everything we say, what I want you to know is just by asking that question, you might be thinking, oh, this is one of those churches. This is like, this guy's old school. He looks real young and hip, but, <laughs> but, but he's kind of old school. Or this is like, you know, one of those real traditional conservative churches. And oh, no, here we go. All right. But what I want to tell you is that the reason that's fine, because I understand that. If you look at the culture around us, if you look at even... Uh, your own friends and your own family and the circle of people around you. And if you look at our media culture in Hollywood, you won't be, you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't think that living together before or outside of marriage is not a legitimate option. Right? The, the old-school way of doing it was if you wanted to commit to somebody, you gave them a ring, right? You got married, just like Beyonce said. If you like it, you'll put a ring on it. That's that's what it used to be, all right? And now it seems like the new sign of commitment or symbol is more like the key. Here's a key to my place. Let's take that huge step of commitment. So the question is, uh, should couples live together? Should couples live together? And I, um, I want to just say this real quick before we get into the points. What if the answer to this question had less to do with whether we're one of those traditional churches or whether you're a millennial or you're a boomer or what generation you grew up in. And what if the answer to this question had far more to do with God's amazing love for you and the design that he created for your good, right? Let's frame it that way as we launch into this. So here are the three points today, and I'm going to dive into Scripture in each one of these. And we're going to talk about the meaning 
the myths and then the metaphor. The meaning, the myths, and the metaphor. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in first to the meaning. Something that uh, you may not know about my family, I've shared this before, but my wife doesn't eat red meat. So uh, it's a little bit challenging for me because I love red meat, but in our house we eat mostly chicken and turkey, which is probably a lot healthier anyway. So it's okay, but here's the problem. When we go to the store and get bacon, my wife will often get turkey bacon, right? And it shames me to say that, to admit that to all of you, because <laughs> turkey bacon is just, it's not bacon. And so my kids have grown up in this house where they have eaten a lot of turkey bacon as they have grown up. And one day it just dawned on me how cruel that was to our kids that I, I went out to the store and I got the real thing. And I brought it home and I fried it up and my kids' lives have never been the same because they finally tasted the real thing. Right? Anything, by the way, if you've ever... If you've never tasted real bacon, you won't know what you're missing, right? Because the real bacon is so much better, and it makes turkey bacon not even um, feel like it should be called bacon. It's a fraudulent imitation of the real thing, right? And uh, here's what I want you to know, the reason I say all that. When we're asking the question, should couples live together, where we want to start is this. We want to start with God's glorious design for marriage and for sex inside the context of marriage. When we understand the real deal thing that God has created, it's only then that you can understand what is outside of that. And that's where we want to start today. So it's vital that we take a look at God's design first. And here we're going we're to start in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And uh, what, what we're going to see is the very first two people that were created were a married couple, which tells you something. One thing is that God thought marriage was super important, even though I know singleness is a gift, and that's good too, what we talked about last week. But marriage is sacred. And the first, these two verses that we're going to read give you an insight into how he designed marriage and sex within the context of marriage to be. So let's take a look at this. First, verse 24 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right, so you might have heard this in weddings before because this is the wedding passage. The two become one. Well, what, what is being said here is that marriage is designed for one man and one woman to come together in the closest human relationship that of all. So close, in fact, that it doesn't even refer to two people. It's two people becoming one because they unite together in every aspect of marriage and their emotions and their social lives and their finances. In every single way, they are one, one flesh. And God has designed this physical way to express this internal, personal connection. And that physical way is called sex. And when a married couple has sex, what they are saying is, I belong to you, and I'm not going anywhere. Right? That is what happens. So that's the way God has designed this to be. Now, verse, the next verse has more. Verse 25. Right? It says, And the man and his wife 
we're both naked and we're not ashamed. And this is a big deal because it's not just that he's talking about um, nakedness from a physical standpoint. It is metaphorical. And it's going, both the husband and wife were so one together that they knew each other, everything about each other. They didn't have anything to hide from each other. They were fully known, right, physically and metaphorically, and yet, at the very same time, fully loved. And that was the power behind what was happening. They were saying, I belong to you, and I'm not going anywhere, and it's not going to change anything. Right? That is what, and by the way, we all long for that kind of love. Every single one of us longs to have the kind of relationship where we, where someone knows everything about us. There's nothing hidden, and yet, at the very same time, they love us exactly how we are. Not for who we hope to be or who we want to be someday, but just as we are, right? That's, that's what all of us uh, want, and that's what the covenant of marriage was supposed to be about. But let me, let me throw this out there, though. It's the whole idea of marriage and sex within the context of marriage. It's not just about marriage, and it's not just about sex. It's about something much bigger. It's about something much more important. You see, for Adam and Eve, uh, the strength of the intimacy that they had with each other just didn't come from them. The strength of the intimacy they had with each other came from a greater relationship. It came from the intimacy they had with God because God was the one who created them just how they were. And God looked down on them in their metaphorical nakedness and said, this is, this is exactly how I want you to be. And I love you exactly how you are. And they had a perfect relationship. See, it's a, actually marriage and sex is all a metaphor. It's a metaphor for us to know about a greater relationship with God that he has designed us for. Now, there's a, um, there's a, a, a lady named Julie Slattery who has written uh, a lot of books on biblical sexuality. Actually, I believe, personally, she's probably the leading voice on biblical sexuality in our country right now. You should check out our podcast. It's, it's, it's really real. It's biblical. It's great, right? And she wrote this book that I read recently called Rethinking Sexuality. And this is what she said. I want to read uh, the quote from her. She said, God intentionally created sex as a metaphor to teach us about his covenant love for us. The reason that God made sex to be exclusively between two people in the covenant of marriage is because God created us to be exclusively in a covenant relationship with him. Right? You see, what God is doing in his whole design of marriage and of sex is to go, this is not just for you to enjoy. This is to show you more of who I am so you might know not this, just this relationship, but a greater relationship that you were designed for. And I'm going to get back to the metaphor in my third point, and I'll, I'll get back to that. But here's my point and the point I want to make. When it comes to marriage and when it comes to sex within the context, what we need to know about sex is sex is not bad. Sex is not something that we need to hide or not talk about because this is church or be embarrassed to have the talk with our kids. Right? And the reason why is because God made it to be so much higher than that so much holier than that, so much more beautiful than that. And so we have, to, we have to see it that way. 
And it's only then that we can begin to think about how not to use it, right? But first we have to start there. And one of the, um, what I realized today is that we have a different audience and everybody might get something different out of this sermon. But one of the applications is for you, if you are a parent of young kids, at the appropriate times, I think one of your challenges today is that you would communicate the beauty of marriage and the beauty of sex within the context of marriage in an honest and real way. And I know some of you are like, oh, I can't do that. But I'm telling you, that's part of the issue is that we need to educate our kids as they grow up and as they're, trust me, they're not talking about this back there in kids' ministry right now, yet, all right? But as they get older, we need to start doing that. Now, um, let me say one more thing. I guess the question is, should couples live together before marriage or outside of marriage? Of course, what I'm getting to is that the answer is, is no, it's not God's design. But let me say this real quick. Um, oftentimes, as Christians, we make mistakes with people who are wrestling with this because they will come to Christians and they will say, hey, um, should we live together outside of marriage? Is that a good idea? And a Christian will say, no, you shouldn't do that. And they say, well, why? And they're like, well, God doesn't like that. Right? Don't do that. Don't do it that way because while that is not wrong, what we need to start with is God's amazing design for the way he created sex within the context of marriage. And when you understand how great it is, then you will understand what is outside of that. Um, Dave, put this quote up, but I think this is so true that you have to understand God's yes to you in order to understand his no. And that's in everything, right? Understand his yes first. Okay, let's move on to the next one. All right, you uncomfortable yet? All right. Number two is uh, not only is there meaning behind this whole thing that God has created, but then there are the myths. There are the myths. So I did marriage ministry for um, a number of years before I took this job, and I was at CCC, huge church, and I met with every couple that came into the church to get married, Um, almost every couple, for like a premarital interview. And so I had a big sample size of couples, and what I found out is about a third of them uh, were living together, coming in uh, as they came in to get married in the church. And so I understand that it's, it's, it's happening both inside and outside the church. And so what I got a chance to do is I got a chance to understand some of the myths that were believed from couples as, as to why they were living together. There's a lot of myths, but what I want to do is cover two today. And uh, there's a lot more I could talk to you about. But Number one is this. The, the first one is the test drive myth. Myth number one, the test drive myth. And you, you know this, but the way this myth goes is go, hey, um, marriage is a big deal. So is buying a car. Right? So you'd never buy a car without test driving a car, therefore. Right? You would never get married. All the more reason why you wouldn't get married without test driving your spouse, all right, so to speak. And I get that. I, I think I, I understand the logic behind that. But here's the, um, here's the issue. If you are looking at marriage like that, then you already have the wrong mindset for marriage. Because marriage is not a consumer relationship. Right? Marriage is not a product to be purchased. It's not a service to be subscribed to. It's so much different than that. And actually, Ephesians 5, uh, if you ever want the, probably the most clear, best passage on marriage, it's Ephesians 5. 
Ephesians 5 outlines what marriage is supposed to be like, and it says what a husband is supposed to do to treat how he's supposed to treat his wife and how a wife is supposed to treat her husband. And if you were to sum up all that it says, it essentially says this, marriage is not meant for you to get all your needs met. Instead, marriage was designed for you to meet the needs of your spouse. It's not a selfish thing. It's a selfless thing. It's not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant. And then it, it ends the passage in Ephesians by saying this. Let me read this part for you as it pours. All right. Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32 say this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. First of all, we have the same quote from Genesis right there, but then it says all this stuff about marriage, it's actually not even about marriage. It's not even about sex. It's referring to Christ in his relationship to, to, to the church. So what that means is that what God has been trying to show us through the institution of marriage is a greater relationship that we were made for, one that Jesus died to give us. Now, can you imagine, I'm going to shout over this, can you imagine if Jesus decided to have a consumer relationship with us? Can you imagine he goes, yeah, I'm coming, I'm going to die for you, but first you got to do this and this and this for me, and then I'll die for you. you got to get your act together first. Right? Or I will give my life for you if you do these things for me. But Jesus would have never come to die, right? Because none of us have our act together. None of us have, have measured up to God's glorious standard. So Jesus doesn't come with the consumer mindset. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. The song that we sang said, while we were slaves to sin, Christ died for us. And he, he didn't die for us because of us. He died for us in spite of us. And what he's saying in Ephesians 5 is, listen, that's the same mentality you need to have in marriage. Marriage works the same way. So listen, I'm not saying that means like just randomly marry anyone because it doesn't matter. But no, you, you need to spend the time getting to know that person. That's why we have premarital mentoring here that you can go through where you can discover more about that that person and figure out if if you think it could work but you can test drive all you want what you will find out every single time is that the one you are marrying is deeply flawed just like you are they are not perfect far from it and so the covenant of marriage wasn't designed for you to go i'll love you if you love me first, or if you do all the things that you're supposed to do, then I'll love you. No, the covenant of marriage is going, listen, I'm going to love you no matter what. Even if you don't love me back, even if you sin against me, I will love you, because that's what Jesus has done for me. And so that's the first myth and the answer to the first myth. The second myth is uh, what I call the commitment myth. And I've heard this several times. So oftentimes people will say, well, listen, do I have to be married to be committed? To be committed? And and I also get that argument. One of the problems I think we're facing right now is that so many of our young people have grown up with divorced parents and they look at that and they go, I don't, I don't want that. And so I'm not getting married because I saw all the hurt 
that it cost. And so there's a, there's a fear of commitment right now, and I totally get that. So some people will go, hey, it's just a piece of paper, right? Marriage is just a piece of paper. It's not a huge deal. But what I want to tell you is that it's way more than a piece of paper because of what happens in the context of marriage is not just physical, it is spiritual. And I want to show you that. This is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 13 through 16. And I'll unpack some of what this means here. Here's what it says. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it, it is written, the two will become one flesh. Right, now let me explain this, because all of a sudden we moved into prostitution, and you're like, whoa, that's, not, that's, that's a different story. Well, listen, Paul is writing to um, the, the Christian church in Corinth. And in, in Corinth, they, uh, they had just probably become Christians recently, but they had a very low view of sex. So the way they looked at sex is they thought, well, you have a desire and you just fulfill it. It's, like, it's basically like eating food. You're hungry, you eat. And that's, that's why he said the stomach is for food, the food is for the stomach. Is that, but what Paul is saying to them is that that's actually not right. Oftentimes, uh, a father in Corinth for his son's 18th birthday would actually get a prostitute for him because it was just a thing. It was like, well, he's hungry, so let's let him eat. What Paul is saying is, listen, that is not the way God has designed this whole thing at all. What he's saying is sex within the context, sex period is supposed to be a spiritual uniting, not just of two bodies, but of two souls bound together the same way we are bound to Christ by his death on the cross to us. And so when we're looking at this, this is not just a small thing. It's not just a, a way to fulfill a desire. This is a spiritual bond, a spiritual connection that means a ton. So listen, if, oh, and by the way, science helps with it too. Because what happens in sex is that you're, there's a hormone released in your brain called oxytocin, which is called the love hormone. And oxytocin actually boosts your emotional connection to the person you're with. And so God created not just something physical, but he created something that would really bond, that would cement the covenant of marriage two people together, right? And so if marriage um, and sex within the context of marriage was designed to be something that you say, I belong to you, I am all yours, and I am not going anywhere, then anything that is outside of the context of marriage is actually false intimacy. And here's why. Because if you're not married, what you're saying when you have sex is you're going, I belong to you and only you and yet, at the very same time, there is nothing holding your relationship together. You could leave at any time without any consequence because you are not actually, there's nothing holding you together. And so it's false intimacy. It's turkey bacon, right? That's what it is. And so 
I want to share one thing. Well, first of all, marriage is the only institution where you can give yourselves completely to someone else, and there can be safety and security, knowing that person's not going anywhere. It's, it's this, the only one where you can literally take your clothes off physically and metaphorically and realize that that person knows everything about you and will not leave. That's the covenant that we were designed for in marriage. There is a story I want to share real quick, and then I'll move to my last point. And the story is about a couple um, that this is a, a real story about a couple who was living together, and the, uh, the girl would say that, you know, after they'd sleep together, she would get up out of bed, she'd go to the bathroom, wash all of her makeup off, and then get in bed, and she'd go to sleep, and she'd set her, set her alarm for, like, way earlier than her boyfriend would get up, because she wanted to get up, make sure she could get all of her makeup on, look exactly how she did the day before, so that he wouldn't see her any other way. And I was thinking about it, I was like, why would, you, why would you do that? That's because she didn't really want the real her to be known by him yet. Because there was not a covenant, there was not a commitment. He could still leave at any time. And I think that's just a small symptom of what that kind of intimacy is. That you were, marriage was made to, to, so that you could have this like unmasked, unfiltered relationship with each other, knowing that either one wasn't going anywhere so that's the meaning those are the myths and finally and this one will be quick it's the the metaphor now back to the metaphor in a minute there are types of people in this room there are always two types of people in our room there are those who have placed their faith in jesus and you would call yourself a christian and then there are those who who say you know i've, I've not yet made that commitment i am not a christian at this point and i would say thanks for being here if you're not because we want you to keep looking into who Jesus is. But I want to speak to non-Christians first, that uh, the risk of doing a message like this can feel as though what I'm trying to tell you is to change your behavior. Like if, if this affects, if I'm speaking directly to you today, that what God really wants from you is to just stop living together, change everything. But actually, if you're not a Christian, the very first thing I want for you is to taste and experience the amazing love of Jesus. That's first. To experience his grace and his mercy and, and his love for you because that will blow your mind. It will change you and then it will bring clarity to other aspects of your life, but it starts there. It really is important to start there. My heart for you is to know Jesus as your Savior. Because remember the metaphor. The metaphor is that the whole point of marriage and sex within the context of marriage was supposed to point you to a greater relationship that you were designed for. And here it is. This is the gospel. That God created you for a relationship with him, that you would be fully known and fully loved by him. But what happened is every single one of us has walked away. We've rejected the God who made us, and we've decided that we want to do our own thing, we want to be our own gods trying to figure out different ways that we think are going to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment, but they never work. It's the same with Adam and Eve. The sin that Adam and Eve uh, uh, committed in the very beginning was a sin to actually reject God's way. They were saying, we know better than God. And so what they did is they saw this fruit that looked good. It, it's, it's, it looked like it was going to taste good. It didn't look like it was going to hurt anybody. 
And so they went ahead and they just said, this is what we're going to do is the only thing God said not to do. And what they were saying is, we know better than God. So we're going to do things our way. And ever since then, every one of us has done that. And for Adam and Eve, instead of giving them the satisfaction and the fulfillment that it th they thought it could, it made them empty and it disconnected them from the God who made them because it broke trust with him. Right? And ever since then, here's the great news. God never stopped loving us. He never stopped loving us that, to the point where he sent Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins so that if we would place our faith in Jesus, we would be reunited in the intimacy with God, the God of the universe who loves us just how we are. And I want you to know this too, that that's, that's the beauty of this relationship. Like set marriage aside for a second because what God is saying is you, no matter what you've done, no matter how many wounds you have, no matter how many times you've messed up in your life, God loves you just like you are right now. So much he sent Jesus for you that if you would place your faith in Jesus, you can have everything you were designed for no matter what you've done. That's the beauty of the gospel. Now, let me move now to Christians. If you're a Christian in here and you're wrestling with this issue, or maybe you have somebody in your life that is wrestling with this particular issue. Maybe it's even a family member, because I think this touches all of us in some way. And here's my challenge to you or whoever's struggling with this as a Christian. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he loves you so much that he gave up everything to have you, to get you, and then if he would do that, do you believe that he has a plan for your life that is better than yours? Do you believe it? And if the answer is yes to those questions, then I want to tell you this. You may have to make a difficult decision for him. And you may have to make a difficult decision in light of everyone else who's not making that decision and everyone in our culture that's saying, it's fine, don't worry about it. And if you're somebody who maybe is on your way to marriage, and you've already thought, well, we're getting there anyway. One of the things I want to challenge you with is no matter what you've already done, it's never too late to make a decision for God. And the reason I say that is because when you get married as a Christian, and you know this, you've been married for a while, you're going to have to make a whole bunch of really hard decisions for Jesus that aren't easy, that go against the culture altogether. So why not start by making a really hard decision now for Jesus to set the tone for a marriage that would be honoring to him. Do you trust God? Not just with this, but with everything. He's worthy of it. Father, we thank you so much for, um, for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us in Jesus. And Lord, I, uh, I pray that you would uh, speak to us today. Wherever we're at, however you want to use this sermon, would you use it and uh, would you help us to draw near to you now and worship to build our lives, to build our families, to build our marriages on the love and the grace of Jesus and the truth of how you've designed us to be.